Hello and welcome to a special lockdown edition of Keeping It Current. We'll be discussing all things coronavirus as well as all things Labour leadership and US presidential election. We'll also be chatting about how we spent the lockdown and now tips on how to spend this testing period. Jacob Breed is back with his political analysis. But of course we are following the social distancing rules and he is, he, he is joining us via Skype on my iPad. Hello JK. Hello Thomas, in, in, indeed I am. I feel like this would have happened anyway, even without a crisis. You've been looking for an excuse to, to see me less and less, and here we go. Yeah, yes, I, I, I've got to say I have, yes. Uh, you're a bit of like a wasp, can't get rid of, really annoying, and makes a really annoying buzzing noise. Uh, other people call it snoring. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yes. So, uh, we also have an exclusive message from the Prime Minister. He'll be uh, giving us an update on how his health is and what he's been watching on TV while staying at home. And also, a uh, huge congratulations to the Prime Minister on the good news today that his uh, partner has given birth to a baby boy. So, let's get cracking then. First, we're talking about the government's response to the virus. There's been plenty of criticism around the government's response to the virus, especially when it came to the timing of the lockdown measures, as we saw social distancing rules being broken in several places around the UK on Mother's Day weekend. In the Snowdonia National Park in Wales, bosses described the amount of people visiting unprecedented, and he had made he said that made it impossible to maintain effective social distancing. Jacob, do you believe that the government should have implemented the measures earlier? As the death toll goes above 20,000, which is what the government wanted to keep it under. Um, yeah, well, that, that 20,000 figure, they, the chief scientific advisor said a few weeks ago, that would be a good resource if we could keep it under 20,000, and, and, and it's, it's still increasing by hundreds a day and has gone past that measure, unfortunately. Um, and I, I'll say as well, I was actually, I was at work the day before Mother's Day, um, because you know I've got to got to earn a, a living, got to put, put food on the table somewhere. Prepare for university and, um, if you get the chance to go. <laughs> if, I, if I do, if I make it through clearing. Um, but the... the um, my, my personal observation was that it, it, it was disconcerting how busy it was. I work in a chocolate shop, so it would always be busy the day before Mother's Day, you know, disorganised sons such as myself <laughs> accidentally having forgot that, that, that Mother's Day was approaching so quickly. Um, but certainly it, there was no social distancing in place. Should the government yeah. have introduced the measures earlier? I, I, I think they should have, which is easy to say in hindsight. But the, the point is that we need to learn from these things. And yeah. I, I think the reason the government took a long time is because initially they were following this herd immunity strategy. Mm. And it took, I don't know, a week for them to change track. Yeah, and yeah. That, and I think in the future, if they had introduced it earlier, could have kept the peak down. Because it's going to be ultimately most effective when, mm. when, when you're really cutting it off from the weeds before it gets a big problem. Yeah. There, there was also the issue of, um, uh, coming out this week, about SAGE concerning who sits on SAGE, and it's, it was revealed by The Guardian that Dominic Cummings, the Prime Minister's special advisor, sits on SAGE. So do you think there could be some political motivations about the scientific advice that the government's been getting? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, Dominic... 
Dominic Cummings is some some what of a hate figure for anti-conservatives of those on the left. Um, per, personally, I don't know because on one hand, it is a medical, it is a scientific decision. You know what? It, what is the advice? Do they advise that we introduce? lockdown measures what lockdown measures do they advise that we introduce but there is in all of this an element of political judgment first of all the politicians have the mandate mm-hmm. if they're the ones with the legitimacy to make these decisions mm-hmm. but at the end of the day they're imposing absolutely huge restrictions on our liberty and there's always going to be a political judgment about how far they're willing to go on that how far they're willing to ease it so i don't you would hope that dominic cummings wasn't trying his hand in being dr cummings and inventing his own <laughs> scientific fact yes the best, the best way of keeping the economy going <laughs> yeah. well, did, did... If, it, if it was a uh, to help with that political judgment, I yeah. don't have as much of a problem with that as others perhaps might. Yeah, what I was going to say is that um, the fact that um, Dominic Cummings is sitting on stage, which is meant to be expert scientists, like, uh, I don't know what they call them, virologists and stuff like that, they're meant to be the ones who are giving the government this advice that they're going off. But they're, if, if you're getting somebody who's very close to the Prime Minister sitting on the, uh, sitting on it, then it's obviously going to... People are going to think, like, is there something more darker at play here? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think um, that's what we don't know. When, when they say sitting on stage, what does that mean? Does that mean he was, you know, bounding up and adding contributions every few seconds? Or was he sitting in the background taking notes... Um, and giving giving extra ideas to a prime minister. I, I think it's inevitable that after this is all over, there's going to be some sort of inquiry and, yeah. and, and yeah. this, this come up. Do you feel that like some heads may roll for this, possibly? Um, well, certainly some eyes have been rolling. Yes, uh, yeah, especially from the Labour front benches recently. Um so there's also been many criticisms over the government's strategy in testing, as Matt Hancock promised earlier in the month that there would be capacity for 100,000 tests per day by the end of April. And the government have not have not got to 100,000 tests a day. They should be making these false promises. when Well, not false promises, but promises that they know could have a chance of not happening. So do you think that the government shouldn't put timescales on things from this piece of evidence? Um, I I would actually disagree. I would say, first of all, um, we've got today and tomorrow um, to see what, what the final result is, uh, see how many tests are done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think... Um, when that promise was made, the yeah. government was coming into under relentless pressure because there weren't enough tests. And what Matt Hancock essentially did, and I think it was a brave decision, was putting it out there and saying, this is how you can judge our performance. If we reach that target, we've succeeded. If we haven't, we won't. And the thing is, you know, if it's not reached, then then people will, will suggest will say that you know it's a broken promise. Okay. 
but the point as well is that if if they suggested you know we'll take a month and we'll get to ten thousand tests a day, there was no point in that because it it it, it is not a meaningful target. Mm-hmm. So I think the the ambitious target was made quite bravely, knowing that, that, that they might not hit it. Now officially yeah. they remain confident of hitting it. Um, but 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 putting it on the line so clearly, so transparently, I think is one of the things I would actually uh, commend um, our friend Matt Hancock for. Uh, yeah, so there's also the matter of how we will exit the lockdown, as the government are not letting us know what the strategy is for after the lockdown, and the devolved governments are, like, leading this. The fact that Scotland have come and said that they're going to be using face masks, uh, Wales have come out and said something that they're going to be like doing a uh, one by one exit. So the thing is that we will need a period of notice as people need to get back into normal routines. As I've got to think myself, even though I'm not a full time worker, but for full time workers, they'll need to try and get into back into their routines because you know it's not like one day you're going to be getting sleep at one o'clock and waking at twelve o'clock. And then the next day you're going to have to be at work for six o'clock in the morning or something like that. So do you think that the government, how do you think they're going to approach the lifting of the lockdown? Yeah, I think you you make a good point, um, Thomas, because obviously, you know, we need some notice. I mean, you can imagine, for example, with schools, if they're deciding uh, which teachers can go in which teachers can't go in if they're staggering lessons if they're social distancing in classrooms. Well, as the fact that you could say about obviously students who have been shielding during this time whether they're allowed to go back to school yeah uh, i mean that 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 decision making process isn't going to happen overnight but i think there's another point um in that if people feel like this is going on and on and on without an end then I think they will get more likely to flout the social distancing measures. Whereas if the government was to say, look, we're imposing them for another three weeks, but this is then what we'll do. I think people, they would have that in mind. They would be able to work towards it. Yeah. They would be more likely to stick Yeah, to because it. I always find as well in normal life, because uh, we were just heading towards our A-level exams, and I was thinking about, like, all the stuff that I planned for the summer, which was going to get me through that time. So, if maybe you say that they def- say we're going to extend it for another three weeks, but after that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. So, maybe that could keep people going during this period, that period. Exactly. I think psychologically, it's very important. And, you, you know, you see the, the, the medics saying so often that, you know, we've got the data, we've got the science, but we're having to build into that an element of human behaviour, you know, to what extent will, will people follow the, 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 the rules. On the other mm. hand, of course, and this is what the government is arguing at the minute, if you start telling people, well, you're going to be able to meet up with friends and go to McDonald's for a banana milkshake and, <laughs> and go back to school and work, but then you tell them, you know, stay at home or you're killing people, is that a mixed message you're sending? That's what yeah. the government's arguing. But, but I, I don't want to get on a rant. I, I wonder whether um, Dominic Rabb uh, was worried about making the big political decision and def- deferred it to... Yeah, because there has Boris. been... While Boris has been gone, um, as we will know and we'll see what has to say later on in the show, uh, we've just got... It's been... There's been a claim about, like, a bit of a 
uh, it's like being a vacuum of power. Nobody, there's nobody there to make rubber stamp that, make that final decision. Rubber stamp it. It, it feels like none of the cabinet are really coming to the fore, really. I mean, I think I think it's it's a very interesting situation because um, before this crisis, Boris was trying to consolidate his own power. So Sajid Javid, the Chancellor, resigned because the condition of uh, him remaining in post was that he sack all of his personal advisers and instead share a pool of advisers with 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 number ten. Equally, if if you look at, at the big figures from a leadership election, uh, you know Rory Stewart not in Parliament anymore, Jeremy Hunt on the back, on the back benches, uh, Sajid Javid on the back benches now. Um, uh, and, My, and Michael so, Michael Gove is not in the most. Um, powerful position even if it's still a big part of government being the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster but it's it's not as if he's the Foreign Secretary or the Chancellor or the Home Secretary it's not generally considered one of the great offices of state he doesn't have his own department so you had this consolidation of power and then all of a sudden Boris had to step out of that and I think you then saw a reluctance to make decisions in his absence but I think it's interesting as well to consider that Dominic Rabb was 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 as a first secretary of state was leading the country in Boris's absence but that it wasn't clear what responsibilities he actually had yeah. for example if we were to have been bombed which seems Awfully unlikely, but <laughs> hypothetically speaking, did would he have the authority to to order a strike back? Would 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 the, the army, the military, respect his authority? And this is I, one of the interesting quirks of our uncodified constitution. Yeah, because he doesn't when, have that mandate, does he? He doesn't have. That and he mandate, doesn't have the mandate that a vice president would have in America, say for example. Exactly. Well well a vice president, if they were stepping in for the president, would be to all intents and purposes the president with all their powers that are set out explicitly in the constitution. And we didn't have that and it, it's an it's, no. it's an interesting thought. So now it's time to chat about the first impressions of the new leader of the Labour Party, Sakir Starmer. Keir Starmer is certainly trying to unite the Labour Party. This was laid out in his victory speech. There is particularly an emphasis on the anti-Semitism rooted in the Labour Party. Jacob, do you believe that Keir Starmer has what it takes to squeeze out the anti-Semitism that lies within the Labour Party? Uh, yeah, yes, I do. Um, quite, quite simply, I, my impression of Keir Starmer is someone who isn't um, isn't particularly engaging. You know, doesn't 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 marry and divorce and marry again and then pop out a, a baby. It, you know, you know, it, it isn't exciting, but it's very competent. And I think I, I, I think he's made clear that um, rooting out anti-Semitism is something he wants to do. You could say he has a vested personal interest because his children are Jewish. Um, and um, and I read a quote from one of the um, from one of the Jewish groups. I, I 
don't recall the name saying that that he had done in the first four days more to stamp out anti-Semitism than Corbyn did in four years. So, so I think he can, and I, I, I think it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it definitely is something to keep an eye on because it was one of the big factors alongside Brexit that really damaged the Labour Party's chances in the 2019 election. So if if you think in hindsight, let's say if there's a general election, say 2020, 2023 or 2024, I don't know whether Boris wants to change to the fixed term parliament act or so on. Uh, do you think that if Keir Starmer gets the Jews back on side, do you think Labour would have a better chance? Yeah, that de- de- well, definitely a better chance. Um, you know, if you if you alienate an entire um, group of a population, and it, it's never going to go well for you. I think if you look at the absolute drought of seats that Labour has, it does seem unlikely, yeah. even if this parliament lasts the entire five years, but yeah. they would be in a strong enough position to win, unless Boris does something. Uh, catastrophic, which I don't think we can rule out. But if you look at when Labour were last in this sort of position, uh, 1983, Michael Foot, uh, they, 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 they started to build up a bit more seats on Neil Kinnick. As I think I was looking at it the other day saying they got to the point in 1992 when they had 270, something like that. Exactly. And, and, and Kinnick... Um, I think the point is that Kinnock stayed on. He fought the 1987 election. It was a Thatcher landslide, but because he had proven himself enough, he had, you know, it reintroduced respectability to Labour. They had gained some seats. Mm-hmm. He stayed on for another five years. And let, uh, let us not forget, um, everyone predicted a Labour victory in 1992. So I think I think it's a Starmer project for the long haul, Um yeah, because if you think about the way you see British elections have turned out in the past like thirty years, parties have seemed to have been in power for a long time, long long periods, and I think the Labour Party kind of it'll be a thing where maybe the next general election he'll try and build to try and get maybe a hung parliament or something like that before he can get a majority. Yeah, I mean, what what really strikes me is that. The Conservatives have been in power now for ten years. So, so new New Labour was in power for thirteen years. So, so by the end of this Parliament, the Tories will have eclipsed that. But, but we've got the impression that they're they're a new government. You know, the the, the policy of leaving, well, the the policy focus of the Cameron government in twenty ten was austerity. Now it's Brexit. You had Cameron, you had May, you had Johnson. It doesn't feel. Like we've had ten years of Tory government because we've had only one year of of, of 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 Boris, and I wonder if that will count against Labour because inevitably in politics you see there's a point at which people just want change. We did in nineteen forty five, they did in nineteen thirty nine, nineteen ninety seven, but I wonder if that point is further away because the Tories have almost reinvented themselves. Yeah, because they ch- they changed ideologically in a sense that. Because we saw in Rishi Sunak's budget in March that they seemed to move themselves more central in terms of them uh, loosening the purse strings, which uh, never happened during the Cameron or May eras in a way, and that they um, they've gone obviously as well. I know it's a crisis, but they have gone big spending in at the minute with the coronavirus. Exactly, and it's and it's. 
I, I, I think it's going to be very politically difficult for them to do anything but increase the pay of workers in the NHS. Um, I have forgotten the other point I was going to make, um, but we'll go, we'll go with that one. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, it seems that um, we might be heading for years more of austerity, but the, I think the way they're going to have to do this, instead of maybe austerity measures, is by raising taxes. I've got a feeling that's the way. Well, I think, um, I mean, Rishi Sunak's budget, it largely was the budget he would have delivered anyway. There was a bit of stuff on coronavirus release, but just a drop in the water compared to what he subsequently announced. And that was more spending and actually no, no more taxes. So I think that they are showing a willingness to spend more. And actually, uh, they, they say that that's why. Johnson appointed Sunak because because he would be be, be more lovey-dovey with the spending tax. The point I was going to make, though, and I, I remembered it now, was that when Rishi Sunak was announcing the support for self-employed people, 80% of their wages from the government, um, he said, at this time of crisis, self-employed people are expecting the same support from the state as as, as, as other employees yeah. and therefore he thinks it's reasonable that they contribute the same amount i.e. in the future he is going to raise taxes on self-employed people so I think and, and personally I hope it's not a one-way street but if they are increasing spending then they see that they do have a political space to increase taxes as well <laughs> but no doubt any measure will be will will, will, will see opposition yeah so back on to uh, Keir Starmer uh that's what we were talking about we ended up talking about Rishi Sunak um, so Keir Starmer's uh, shadow cabinet appointments also show that he's trying to steer the party away from the Corbyn years most of the Corbyn loyalists are gone thank god with more moderate figures brought in also there were some big name returns to the shadow cabinet such as Ed Bacon Mann Miliband as shadow business secretary and David Lammy as shadow justice secretary Jacob, do you think that Starmer's shadow cabinet appointments show that he wants the party to return to a more Blairite stance? Um, to comment firstly on, on those two appoint, appointments you mentioned, I, I think um, you know, one of the toughest things about lockdown is the fact that I've not had a Cranston's bacon sandwich in, in months. <laughs> and then they go... Keir Starmer goes and appoints Ed Bacon Man Miliband. You know, that really is rubbing it in right there. Um, and um, I think David Lammy as Shadow Justice Secretary, I think that's a really, really exciting appointment. Um, I remember reading what his report on institutional racism in our justice system. I think he'll be a very active and campaigning uh, Shadow Minister. I think that's very exciting. In terms of a broader question, is he, is he trying to return the party to a Blairite stance? Um, I don't think he is. If you looked, he had a 10-point plan for uh, during the leadership campaign. And if you look at some of his policies, um, they're things that, that Blair would would never promise or deliver on. So one yeah, of them yeah. was reversing the uh, conservative... Uh, trade union reforms of the 1980s, mm -hmm. Blair kept them in place. One of them was uh, democratising the Lords. Blair only abolished 
most of a hereditary peers. One of them yeah. was about nationalising a couple of key industries. Blair was, you know, he banned Labour MPs from saying the word socialist. So I think rather he's trying to... He's, sh- he's shifting them more to the centre, not as like... Well, even more, there are more, there could have been classed as right-wing under Tony Blair in a sense, especially with things such as tuition fees and, uh, you know. And, and a, a lot of it, a lot of it, terrorist legislation. Um, yeah. On, uh, and, and on crime and things like that. I, I think rather the Starmer project is about saying Blairites are welcome in this project it's not he's, about yeah uh, he's trying to make some a bit of a broad shift because he has he has put all of it well ma- majority of his leadership uh con uh challenges uh well fellow leadership candidates how that's how i should word it into the shadow cabinet apart from clive there is who who even knew who he was before uh so uh yeah because we saw lisa nandy got a big post a uh, shadow foreign secretary we got oh, the- lisa nandy who um same birthday as me a fun, fun fact for you there <laughs> uh, we got uh, Emily Formry as Shadow International Development Secretary and we got uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey as Shadow Education Secretary so there is that part obviously Rebecca Long-Bailey described Jeremy Corbyn's leadership as a 10 out of 10 so she's she was pretty much a Corbyn loyalist so she has he has kept some more left-wing figures in the party in there yeah, and I, 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 but I think it's notable that uh, Rebecca Long Bailey is education secretary. It's not one of her big offices of state. He he felt like he had the political room to to keep her in cabinet. Yes, uh, to keep her binded to his program. Yes, but not to give her centre stage. And I think it was very telling on uh, one of the televised leader uh, challenger debates on. Um, Channel Four, I think they asked. Mm-hmm. They asked uh, him and 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 uh, the two others, Lisa Nandy and Rebecca Long Bailey. Who do you think is the best Labour leader? And um, and Keir Starmer very tellingly said Harold Wilson because he kept the party together. Now Harold Wilson comes in for a lot of criticism about this, people saying he was ideologically floppy, he was an opportunist, he was constantly worried about attacks. But the fact that Keir Starmer turned this into a positive mm. and said yes, but he led a united Labour Party into government, I think shows where his his head's at. Yeah, I think it shows where as you said before, he probably going to be a Starmer long-term project the fact that his first job is to unite the party then to make the electoral gains exactly and I think the second will follow from the first so now it's time to talk about coronavirus's impact across the pond Donald Trump making a mistake in a time of need seems to be almost as certain as Laura Quensberg getting the first question at the government's daily briefing he seems to be going from one mistake to the other First he said that he thought the US would be back to normal by Easter Sunday. Then he called the coronavirus the Chinese virus. And now, this is the worst one, he seems to think that injecting Dettol into yourself will stop you from getting the virus. And maybe exposing you to a bit of suntan, you know. I'm going to go sunbathing, yeah. I'm going to go sunbathing, I'm not going to get coronavirus, yeah. That's what he's thinking. I mean, this, is, this, is an apt, this is an apt point to just say, you ask people 
to uh, to to submit their suggestions for what to do in lockdown. And what was what what was one suggestion you had, Thomas? Uh, so, someone said um, sunbathing in the new. I, I'm not going to mention their name, but they know who they are. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, okay, so uh, on to the main point. Uh, Jacob, do you think that Donald Trump is damaging his chances in the presidential election with his management of the crisis? Yes. Um, quite clearly, he's a raging nutter. I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> they call it the rally around the flag effect, which is basically in a moment of national crisis, typically the approval rating of the country's leaders will increase. Um, it, it, it did, for example, nine after 9-11, George Bush's approval rating went to 90%. That was less than a year after he lost the presidential election on the popular vote. And, and we see that happening now, people rallying behind their government, supporting a national effort, pu- putting partisanship to the side. Obviously, um, I, I think I saw Boris's approval ratings were about 70% a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I don't know if they've gone it, down, but they're, they're still pretty favourable. Well, even even uh, Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, who is a very very unpopular figure in some quarters because of her, for example, past support for the death penalty, and she's played a marginal role in this crisis. Yet even her approval ratings have gone up. So the fact that Donald Trump's approval ratings have gone down speaks Show, volumes. Shows about. that because I I've got a feeling if if you're getting somebody who's giving you advice which could damage you and put you in hospital then I think they're not very safe to have leading your country I could just imagine, imagine someone says Donald there's a cat on your head he's going to bomb that country who says that it's just it's great and the thing is um, um, Donald Trump he then said it was a sarcastic comment which I, I don't I don't buy that for a minute but taking that as word he said it was a sarcastic comment and I watched a video on the BBC of three different Trump voters saying how they thought he was handling the crisis and one of them said he's doing a great job um, anyone who would inject or drink uh, drink uh, a- anything like this is a moron but the thing is it's not the role of a president of the United States to be, you know, Mr. Sarcastic-in-Chief, a comedian-in-Chief. No, it's his job to keep people alive in this crisis. It was, if it was sarcastic, it was completely thoughtless and inappropriate. And frankly, he's lying. It wasn't sarcasm. It was, it was an idiotic yeah. suggestion. And damn right that his... I, 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 I know what uh, Donald Trump would say to you, Jacob. You are fake news. <laughs> I am part of the lamestream media. Lamestream media. <laughs> Have a bit of cover there. <laughs> okay, so uh, thinking about the US election, it is set to be the battle of the pensioners. It may be decided by who uses their free bus pass more or who finishes their crossword first. This is because Bernie Sanders pulled out of the race for the Democrat nomination, leaving former Vice President Joe Biden the clear favourite for the Democrat nomination. The thing is that Biden is 77 years old. By the time he finishes his term, he would be 81, which is a remarkable age to be one of the most powerful people in the world. Meanwhile, Trump's hardly a spring chicken either. He's 73 and will be 77 by the time the four years is up. Jacob, do you think that having all the candidates 
may limit the demographic of the US electorate as young people may feel like that the candidates are out of touch. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly a possibility. And what, what I think a lot of Democrats are feeling is a sense of disappointment because if you looked at the diversity of the field, you had you had lots of women. Big British, Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris. You had you had young people, you had people like Cory Booker from ethnic minorities, and you ended up with another... Let, old... let, let's not forget Wayne Messam with his catchy... Uh, Touchy tagline Wayne for America. <laughs> exactly. Hello, exactly. politics research, right there for you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so I think I think inevitably some people will be disappointed, but I I, I think on the Democrat side, their number one priority, indeed the reason they selected Joe Biden as a, who's now the presumptive nominee, is because they want to beat Donald Trump and. So I think um, I think they'll put aside most of them any qualms about his age and vote for Joe Biden, forgetting not that, that you could argue this was more of a, a, a kind of progressive moderate divide because a lot of the young people, young Democrats who are disappointed with Joe Biden's success were rooting for Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders himself was, you know, just just as old as him and had actually suffered from a heart attack. I think I think... But I think what is to be looked out for is that Joe Biden will try and select a running mate who will balance balance the ticket. Yeah, get a younger, maybe you could say maybe somebody like Pete Buttigieg or someone. No. Well, he said he said it's gonna be a woman, but someone like uh, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. I think Kamala Harris has been tipped, hasn't she? She Also, I I I found one thing, one fact out today. That I was uh, the other day that I was so shocked about that Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, is eighty years old. Oh my word! I do. Eighty <laughs> years old. I'm like, what? Have they put the wrong thing? I thought she was sixty. Well, <laughs> Thomas, I think if I if I, if I didn't know better, I think you were trying to trying to pull Nancy. <laughs> well, no, no, I I'll leave that to Donald. Uh, but I, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, um, whatever you think of her politics, and for a lot of Republicans, she's the devil incarnate. It's remarkable what 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 she and what others are doing at this age when uh, when a lot of others are well, enjoying just, um, digestive biscuits and a couple of episodes of Malcolm and Wise. You've got to think that um, <laughs> that American politics seems to need a bit of a youth. A, a, a youth quake in a bit because the, the majority of the candidates are just quite old to be honest I don't want I don't need to be unfair to all people but what you're looking you're wanting a government that represents America you're not going to get that are you especially you see Donald Trump's uh, cabinet it's like the white male festival <laughs> yeah I, I mean I mean that's what um, Bill Clinton said he, he he said he wanted a, a government, a cabinet that looked like America. Um, obviously, um, well, there is in America a constitutional age minimum to run for office. And I, I don't have those figures on the top of my mind. But that's why, uh, uh, um, what's she called, Thomas? Uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, AOC. Uh, AOC. Call her AOC. <laughs> she... 
I have no doubt is going to very soon be running for the presidency, but she could this time because she was too young. Um, but it's an interesting thing as well because they, Pete Buttigieg, for example, 37, very young in the field, one of the biggest criticisms is that he didn't have much experience. Um, but then again, Donald Trump, an old person, didn't have much experience either. He like, didn't what? have much experience, really. No experience at all. And I think that was one thing that helped him in the way that he kept on emphasising the fact that he was outside the Washington bubble. He wasn't a Washington insider. So now it's time for Jacob and I to share our lockdown tips. Jacob, can you share with the listeners how you've been spending the lockdown? Well, well how many weeks are we in? I really can't remember. Six weeks, I'm not thinking, mate. I, I, I see something on Instagram that said, if this was a school holiday, this would be the last break and you'd be going back next week. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really depressing. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I've been I've been doing bits and to try and keep busy. I've been doing a little bit of schoolwork. Um, I what binge watched Line of Duty, uh, which I would very strongly recommend. Um, watching now Killing Eve. Eve has a one plus three, the same phone as me, which is very exciting <laughs> and, and probably absolutely unremarkable to. To, to most listeners, but it made me very excited at least. Um, I'm back into chess, uh, playing chess every evening, very much enjoying that. I've taken up running, which probably shows that really I am losing the plot, um, and um, I'm doing a bit of volunteering, and um, uh, that's about uh, quite a bit of reading, just bits and bobs. What about you, Thomas? Um, well, I've been doing a bit of baking, you know, I made some brownies and some scones, which uh, as I said, I sent you photographs of them. They they, they oh, were they, they were good. delicious. They were good. They were good. Yeah, yes, I would say compliments to the chef, but I am the chef, so um, compliments to you, Thomas. Yeah, so I would highly advise the listeners to do some baking, as once you see the finished product, you do feel quite satisfied with yourself, and most importantly, you are able to eat what you eat. <laughs> good little bit of comfort eating helps you get through these tough times, you know. Even, uh, even better is when you lick the ball before you before you wash it. <laughs> no, that that's not, I don't do that. Um, also, I've uh, managed to do a bit of binge watching on TV, so I finally managed to catch up on Killing Eve, as Jacob said. He's been watching too. I got through. I got through the first two series, and series three is on now. Every Monday morning at six a.m., a new episode drops on BBC iPlayer. And so, you get up at 6am, don't you, Thomas? Oh, yeah, of course, like you do with the F1, yes. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't, I don't. But as soon as I get up, I'll watch it. Uh, yeah, so there's been three on, so there's still another five five to go, so hopefully, hopefully, we won't run out of Killing Eve before lockdown ends. Um, also, I watched, um, I got through Ricky Gervais's Derek, which is about... Um, uh, he, he's a care home work. He works in a care home, and he's like just really happy and really uh, lovely. And it, it's, it was a really nice program to watch. It's really funny, uh, but also quite emotion, quite emo- a bit of tinges of emotion in there as well. And oh, and keeping on the topic of Ricky Gervais, is um, uh, series two of Afterlife. His uh, sitcom Afterlife is out on Netflix now. Netflix now. Um, well, if you haven't watched series one or. I'd advise you to watch them both because it's um, it's just such a brilliant show because it's 
absolutely hilarious in some instances, but in the other instances, it is so upsetting. It is quite... I, I got through the end of season two the other night, and it was really, really upset. It was really upsetting. I, I, I was like, I was nearly in tears, honestly. It was really upsetting. But it's, it's just such a brilliant show with the perfect balance of humour and emotion. And it just takes you away from what's going on uh, in the world at the moment. And it's a fantastic watch. Um, oh, I'll take a recommendation, Thomas. Um, <laughs> have you got any more tips, Jacob? Or... Um, um, <laughs> I'm trying It's just like somebody turned on the TV at the wrong time. It's just like a politician going like, I'm a 70-year-old grandma. Now I'm a 40-year-old politician. <laughs> the NHS does really work wonders nowadays. <laughs> Sure, it's a case of when, not if. Maybe Supreme Leader Johnson will keep everything like this forever. <laughs> maybe, maybe there will be a new normal. Uh, ho- hopefully, the new normal will involve appreciating things more, appreciating the little pleasures in life, like a trip out in a passion wagon, Thomas. <laughs> well, there's no passion wagon. Passion wagon, no more. Um... Do you want to tell the viewers what happened? Well, sadly, sadly, well, I passed my driving test in February. Been a long time since I've done the podcast, so uh, December was the last episode. I just told Jacob before. Uh, so it's been about five months since the four months, five months since the last episode. So I passed my driving test, and then I started taking my car, which was my mum's, which I did the test in. It was a 51 plate Fiesta. Um, a green fiesta, so uh, those of you at school will have seen it on the car park. Maybe badly parked, and maybe need to identity your car sometime, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but basically what happened was it was a bit, a bit old, and uh, uh, there, there, there were... There were um, it, it was becoming a bit dangerous to be uh, riding on the roads, in it, so we decided to sell it. And but once it's ever seen, it has inspired. It does remain in our hearts and minds, especially Mr. Martin Zoo. Jacob kindly gave Mr. Martin a, a limited edition voucher for a ride in the Passion Wagon for his 40th birthday, uh, which um, he didn't take up, which I was very. Well, I wasn't upset by, but I was very surprised by it because he kept on banging about it. He certainly seemed keen to take it up, but it had quite a tight expiry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It only had, it only had a few hours, so you know. Yeah, uh, but also on to what I've been doing. I've I painted the back garden bench last week. I've been going on daily walks, and um, I'm currently starting to binge watch the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, which is very exciting. That's uh, well, on Disney Plus. On Disney Plus, yeah, and as well on Disney Plus, you can watch all 670 episodes of The Simpsons, 
which uh, I'm kind of giving a bit of a promotion here, aren't I? Where's my money, Disney? Come on. Uh, <laughs> you pay Robert Downey Jr. about $15 million to appear in a Ma an Iron Man film, so you give me a million dollars of that to, to um, promote you on the best podcast in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff that Laura Quinsberg. <laughs> um, right, so actually, uh, we... And if you guys have any lockdown tips to share, uh, please don't say sunbathing in the nude or doing anything rude. We are a PG program, so those crude-minded of you, please do not get in touch with anything rude. Um, if 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 you do, I will share it on the show just to show how crude you are. Um, so if you guys have got any lockdown tips to share, you can find us on Twitter. 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 At current underscore it, Instagram at keeping it current twenty nineteen, or on Facebook to search on keeping it current. Or as always, you're welcome to send us an email to keeping it current at outlook dot com, all in lowercase. So now we're on to the biggest part of the show, everyone. The biggest part of keeping it current of all time, I think, is that's right. We have an exclusive message from the prime minister who's speaking from Downing Street. Um, um, he, he, hello there, um, to the listeners of um, Keeping It Current, I, I, I just want to uh, thank uh, Thomas for inviting me onto this wonderful podcast, yes, and what I have to say is that I'm feeling better, thank you to the nurses and to the doctors for getting me better, you know, they, they're very, very, very good and we should be proud of them, and I have heard some uh, rumours this week that I missed five Cobra meetings about COVID-19, but peasants those are indeed rumours, as I missed six Cobra meetings about COVID-19, yes. I could also uh, assure you that we as a government are doing our best to try and defeat the disease, but um, people here, uh, people are going to die. Which is obviously very, very, very tragic, you know, that every number is a tragedy, yes. But there are some positives to this situation. So we, the government, won't have to pay as much state pension to the older uh, population, so that money can go to the NHS, our wonderful NHS, yes. Instead of getting uh, 99 year olds to walk around their gardens, the government will actually probably fund the NHS. I know it sounds very uncharacteristic of a conservative government, but it is uncharacteristic of a conservative government. And once this is all over, we, 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 we will be looking forward to another 10 years of austerity. Such fun. Also, I, I, I shall reiterate that the message is still to stay at home. Yes, uh, Thomas told me to share my tips for staying at home, as I've done quite a lot of that off, uh, in the last few weeks since I came out of hospital. So here goes. There's no need to watch the endless repeats of Foggit, Bargain Hunt, Judge Rinder, Loose Women and Homes Under the Hammer, even though they are very good programs and I strongly advise a watch. There are plenty of other good shows, such as my personal favourites, uh, New Tricks, Midsummer Murders, 
and um, antiques rogue show. Yes, um, I've also been watching some children's TV for uh, in preparation for uh, Carrie popping out the sprog, and uh, obviously that has happened over the last couple of days. And I'm well prepared for the endless hours of children's TV that's going to be on at home. Yes, I've been watching. I watched uh, some amazing uh, programs. You know, uh, my my uh, my favorites were uh, In the Night Garden and um, Tilly Tubbies. I, I, I was expecting Tilly Tubbies to be some tubby people on the Tilly, but it is not. And it's still an amazing program, though. I got it. I got it made now, so I do recommend that a, a, a Tilly Tubbies binge watch is in order during these times. So thank you very much for listening, and I have a Scooby-Doo joke for you. Yes, um, any uh, Chinese listeners of this podcast, I don't think there are, but uh, this may be of some offence, but uh, I'm used to offending people. Yes, so we would be fine if it wasn't for the uh, meddling Chinese. (laughs) Yes, that's great, isn't it? Yes, oh, well... Um, yes, and I'd like to uh, va- thank Thomas for uh, having me on, and uh, now it's time for the uh, eagerly anticipated return of Political Singaphone! Uh, that's right, folks, it is the return of Political Singaphone. This is where I put a political s- spin on a well-known song. This time I am doing a spoof of George Ezra's shotgun. This is A Virus Called Corona. Somewhere in East China, Hubei province, new virus was born, new virus was born. Got a hold of society, now we're mad for toilet rolls, gotta get used to this. Time flies by when you're in quarantine, stay inside and you'll see what I mean. There's no more life that we're dreaming of, but we've just got to be patient. It's a virus called Corona, came to mess our lives up, all my exams are cancelled. Virus called Corona, came to mess our lives up, only two episodes extenders a week. Oh, I say, don't worry, we got Boris. He'll sort it all out. He'll sort it all out. Yes. No more school. No more pubs, bars and cafes. Cool. You've got to get used to this. Time flies by when you're in quarantine. Stay inside and you'll see what I mean. There's no more life that we're dreaming of. But we've just got to be patient. Virus called Corona came to mess our lives up. No more Premier League football. Virus called Corona came to mess our lives up. What's going to happen? Happen, 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 happen. We've got pasta in the cupboard. Toilet rolls out back. Antibacterial hand wash. And guess what? Hand sanitizer. Uh, uh. Time flies by when you're in quarantine. Stay inside and you'll see what I mean. There's no more life 
that we're dreaming of, but we've just got to be patient. The virus called Corona came to mess our lives up. All my exams are cancelled. The virus called Corona came to mess our lives up. Only two episodes of EastEnders a week. Oh, I say. Virus called Corona came to mess our lives up. No more Premier League football. The virus called Corona came to mess our lives up. What's going to happen, 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 happen? Uh, thank you everyone for listening to that. Tickets for my debut two are just wait no, they won't be going on sale because we won't be able to do tours due to the government not supporting mass gatherings. So maybe I could do on the virtual concerts, you know, like Gary Bowler's crooners in sessions or something like that. I'm sure Jacob will be up for that. <laughs> okay, uh, right. Uh, up next it's time to review this week's show. That was a great episode, wasn't it, Jacob? Uh, I think so, and your singing, Thomas, is going to stay with me for a very long time to come. Oh, thank you very much. As I said, I will be going on a debut tour, but, but obviously we can't, so, you know, as soon as we're out of lockdown, you know, I'll be straight the guitar to to the new number one, the virus called Corona, as uh, I say. So, uh, next week we'll be doing another lockdown special with another instalment of Political Singathon. Yes, I will be embarrassing myself by singing once again. And Jacob Breen will be taking on Political Would You Rather for the first ever time. I can't wait for it. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm geared up. I'm looking forward. Yes, I'll be sure to give you some tough questions. Uh, also, just to leave you with this message. We will get through this, but we can't do it alone. If you're feeling down, you just have to remember that everybody else is going through this at the same time. Everybody, to, to coin that the well-known phrase, we're all in the same boat. And we just got to continue to row, to be rowing, rowing that boat, you know what I mean? In the sense that we've got to continue pulling the oars and making sure the boat goes, for, goes forward and gets us to the light at the end of the tunnel. Also, we've got to think about the NHS and all the lives they're saving. Think about all the people that are still going to work and toughing it up. And think about all those people that have had the virus, as well as the people who have unfortunately died from it. There's only one small job that we're being asked to do, and that's to stay at home. It's small fry, really, when you compare it to what the key workers are doing. We've got to stay at home for the key workers, for the NHS, and most importantly, for those people who have suffered at the hands of this lethal virus. And thank you very much, and join us next week, where we won't be going outside, but, but we, we will, will be staying, staying inside. inside. Goodbye. <laughs>